Well, this morning we're going to continue a series of messages that we started called the Lego Principles. Legos are designed for one thing, from its older, from its old owner, and it's designed to connect. And the principle of the Lego for us that is so important is that you and I are designed for two things. Two things. Matter of fact, if you have a Lego from 1958 and you go out to Toys R Us and buy a Lego today, those same Legos would interconnect because they are designed for one thing, to connect. No matter what era of time, they are designed to connect. And so, what we find is that Jesus Christ has given us in his word, we are created for two distinct purposes, to connect with God and connect with each other. To connect with God and to connect with each other. I'd like to go ahead and read together Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. If you'll just kind of follow along there and get your Bibles ready, I hope you will write it down. There's several things in there I kind of want to point your attention to as we work through the, the message this morning. The introduction will be lengthy, the message will be short, and the conclusion, I hope, will be challenging and get you to at least think about where you're at in your spiritual walk and your spiritual connection to Jesus Christ and your connection with other people. Let's read together. Jesus came and told his disciples. Now, by the way, together means we all do it at the same time. Okay, here we go. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Man, you did that so good. Let's read it one more time. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. At the beginning of every new year, they come out, they being pollsters and Gallup polls and Pew polls and, and the Berna um, polls. I mean, there's all kind of polling people that do polling things, and they come out and they tell us, you know, how much money we spent last year, how much money we saved last year, how much money we went in debt last year. It's like how much money we spent for Christmas. And, and then they make projections for the coming year. And it's just all of these polls. Well, church people do that too. The Barna Group, the Pew Group, Gallup Poll even does it as well. And for about three decades now, whenever they survey America to find out the spiritual health of the individual Christian and of the church, it's not been good. I've been your pastor for 23 years now. And for about 20 of those years, we have bucked those trends. Everything that they said was happening to other churches wasn't happening to us. Everything that kind of had filtered into other churches kind of has filtered into us. And so, or what hadn't filtered into us. But now in the last several years, there's some common threads that I see, and I think that polling will, surveys will also point this out as well, that are becoming kind of common ropes that I just kind of want us to make aware of. Now, on any particular poll, they'll have either 10 to 12 to 15 things. I just kind of want to concise it down to the three things I think are really important 
for you to understand. But for the first time in 23 years, we're kind of in a season where we are in decline in attendance. It doesn't look like that this morning, uh, but that's kind of been what's happened. And the, let me give you three reasons for it. The first reason is, is that we've had a lot of people move away for employment. Now, when the recession first hit around 2008, we sat down together as church leadership and we really kind of decided, not decided, we really kind of thought that we would lose people because of the recession and that it would happen to our younger families and that they would have to go to where the jobs are. Well, it didn't happen on that downward trend going into the recession, but it has happened on the upward trend out of the recession. And as companies and businesses are now getting healthier and stronger, they're buying other companies, merging together, and so that means that, that many folks have had to relocate. We sat down in a recent uh, church council meeting, and in a matter of two minutes, it did not take much longer than that, if it took that much at all, we came up with over 100 folks who have been transferred away from us. And, and let's be honest, not a lot of people are moving into Flat Rock, now, the funny thing is, is when we bought the property here, uh, we bought it fully believing that there would be because there were, there were subdivisions, subdivision permits pulled for about 200 subdivisions within a 10, 12-mile radius of this church. Of course, the housing market popped, and that was the end of that story, but we still are thrilled that God has led us here. It just means that ministry has got to be different than what we originally thought it was going to be. Now, 10 years doesn't seem that long into the building. So the, the, the landscape has changed a bit, and these are good people. These are committed people. These aren't peripheral people who have left us. These are people who are, who are leadership and on leadership teams and small group leaders and, and on and on it goes. And so that's one reason. The second is that I think that we have become... Uh, inward focused and you're going to hear a lot about that this year so I'm not going to say too much about it right now is that we we have become inward focused to where it's all about us and and not about them and and we've kind of quit reaching out to guests and making them feel welcome I just want to use one of my favorite verses Romans chapter 15 and verse 7 and I'm going to give you the tremble paraphrase of that verse and it says, by welcoming others, just as Christ has welcomed you, you bring glory to God. And other versions say, by accepting others, as Christ has accepted you, you bring glory to God. I think Paul was setting it in the context of the behaviors of the Christian and the behaviors of the church. And that we as Christians and we as a church, when new folks, when new guests come in, we should reach out to them, befriend them, get to know them. And, uh, and just look for opportunities to uh, make a connection with them. This little handshake time that we do, it isn't for you to go see the people you always talk to. I, I Really, I want you to know this from the bottom of my heart. If I talk to you a lot through the week, I will rarely talk to you on Sunday. Joe, Don, and Clayton, we all rarely talk on Sunday. Rita kind of acts as the go-between for all of us and what needs to be communicated. But we can talk plenty, and we do talk plenty through the week. We want to connect with others and not be inward-focused when we gather here on Sunday. You'll be hearing a lot about that through the week. The, the third thing I want to kind of talk to you about, and this is the one that kind of has affected us. The first one, we can't do anything about it unless you want to build a multi-billion dollar uh, business right here in Flat Rock. The second one, we can and will do something about it. 
And the third is just a challenge that needs to be thrown out before you. It's just the shifting attendance patterns of committed, of committed believers. Shifting attendance patterns. I'm not talking about people on the peripheral. I'm not talking about people who are still wondering. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about folks who are committed. Now, my dad, if you were raised in the Byron Trimble household, you went to church three times a week, 52 weeks a year. And if you were out of town on Sunday, we went to, you know, the, the Free Will Baptist Church uh, in, the, in the area. It was Mama and Papa's church. We'd go to church with them. I cannot remember any time where we just laid out a church. That was unacceptable. We never slept in my entire childhood on Sunday. We never slept in. If it was a snow day, we went and shoveled the sidewalk, even if church was canceled, just in case somebody did come. I go, Dad, let them slip and break a leg. I don't care. <laughs> have you ever played sick? I know you have. Just didn't feel like going in. I just don't feel too good. Listen, in our household growing up, you had to have a temperature of 127 to get out of going to church. And I mean, it's just what we did. 52 weeks a year, three times, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It was just, that was life as, as I knew it. Then my generation has become a little more laxed and casual about week and weekly attendance. They attended a church, they did a survey of a church very similar to ours. And the only reason I use it is because it is so similar to ours. And they surveyed young families and discovered that they attended church on average 1.6 times per month. Young families, committed young families. Out of a possible 4.3 weekends a month. In addition, only 20% of their members attended three times a month, and just 4% were full offenders, full offenders, full attenders, <laughs> like my dad, in the pew 48 weeks a year. Well, what's given rise to the change in attendance pattern? Let me just throw some things at you. These are not bad things. But if you don't put guardrails around these things, they will become bad things. If you don't give attention and discussion to these things, they can kind of overrun things. And so let me just kind of give you five reasons why I think there's been a shift in attendance patterns. And this is drawn from the surveys and really it's just drawn from 23 years of experience looking back on where we were 23 years ago in culture and church and, and where we're at today and what's accepted in our church and what's accepted in our culture. The first one is increased mobility. The first one used to, if you wanted to go get fun in the sun, you had to drive about 16 or 18 hours to get to Orlando or a beach in Florida. Now you can get a non-stop flight and be there in two hours. So if you have a three or four day weekend, the idea of being out and gone and going is, is right there at our, our fingertips. And whether they travel on Sundays for vocation or recreation, relatively few see the need to visit any church while they're away. And so they're absent from the body of Christ. And so for Sunday, even for many committed Christians, Sunday has lost its status because the Bible says it's the third, fourth commandment. Remember the seventh day to keep it holy. To keep it what? Holy. But we've turned God's holy day into our holiday. 
And I think at the core of, of this thing about shifting attendance patterns, you have to decide a couple of things. One is your own individualism. We'll talk about that in a second. And you've got to decide whose day is this day. Jesus, God said, you have six days to do anything you want. you got one day to rest. you got one day to unwind. you got one day to reconnect with family. One day to, to, to kind of, you know, reconnect with God and, and give some time and attention to the spiritual needs of your life. And here's the deal. So we live at such a frenetic pace. Everybody I know is tired. Everybody I know is doing way too much. And God said, way before you and I were even born, listen, there's one day I want you to take off, but it's not your day, it's my day. And as long as you keep me in that day, it'll be a day of rest and renewal and relaxation. But man, all we do is we, we fill that day, we, we take his day, and we now give him one hour out of that day instead of giving him the whole day. And I think that's part of... The, the problem. I, this is the second problem is increasing involvement with kids' activities on Sunday. Now again, this is not a bad thing. I love sports. My kids were in sports. My son Byron coached a high level of sport. I love coaching. Uh, I've coached soccer. Matter of fact, Doug's here. He and I coach together. Dean Kalinovic and I coach together. I love it. We got coaches here in our church. I love it. Wrestling coaches and soccer coaches and baseball coaches and football coaches. I love it. I love sports. My kids played soccer at a very high level. And I remember talking to a guy who would come back and help coach uh, when he had some time. And this kid got a full ride to a major uh, Division I college. Full ride. And man, this guy had made it. You know, everything that you think club soccer is supposed to do, I just assumed that it had done for this kid. And I just remember talking to this kid, and I said, man, this is like living the dream, isn't it? You know, got to play club soccer, do the tournaments, go out and do all the stuff. Now you're playing, you know, college ball. It's just, I, just, I said, what is your, because I was a dad then, I said, what is your biggest memory? What is your biggest memory of club soccer at that high level? He didn't bat an eye. I've told you this story before. He said, I remember seeing the back of my dad's head. I thought he was messing with me. I said, Come on. Seriously? He said, Dad would get in the car. Mom would sit in her seat if she went with us, and we would drive. He would listen to the radio. He would never say a word to me. I'd never say a word to him. And that was my memory of club soccer. I said, you don't remember the teams? He said, I remember the back of my dad's head. And I'm telling you, that rocked my world. I did not want my kids to grow up and say the biggest memory they had of their childhood was the back of my head, which isn't that pretty. So my wife and I, we went home, we talked about it a little bit, and we said, you know what? There's a lot of things we want our sons to do, and we want our sons to be, and this is a great thing, but it just may not be for us. And my son, he was offered a, a, a soccer scholarship. It wasn't to a big school, and it wasn't like the world's biggest scholarship. And I was like really excited until he told me it wasn't God's will for him to go to that college. I said, yes, it is. <laughs> the growth of club sports and the intensity of the competition has created a market for kids to get, to get started earlier and earlier and stay involved longer and longer. And it's literally eating family time alive. And again, they're not bad things. Just without guardrails, it can become a bad thing. 
And all I'm saying is sit down and talk it through as a family with your spouse. And go, okay, what do we want for our children? What do we want as a family? How are we going to handle Sundays? You know, how are we going to do this? Then I think there's a wrong priority, and you got to listen to me on this one. There is a wrong priority that states family first. I'm hearing more and more, yeah, we just needed to stay home because we needed time together. And I hear that more and more. And that sounds so biblical, doesn't it? But did God call us to make families? What did Matthew chapter 28 tell us? He calls us to make disciples. And in the context of making disciples, we are to disciple our family, but it's the mission that's first, not family. Now, by the way, you're not going to find very many people who love sports more than I do. And you're not going to find very many people who champion the cause of family more than I do. I love family. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. I love your kids, even though you don't love your kids. I love family. I do. I'm simply saying that the wrong priority states family first. Let me just quote Francis Chan, who does not know any of you personally. Francis Chan said this, Many Christians have lost their edge, their radical burning fire for Christ. The family is important, but the mission of the kingdom of God should come first. Not only are you missing out on life, but we are turning away our children by the droves because our lives are not the adventure that they see in the scriptures. And they are not experiencing the Holy Spirit. They are not experiencing a Christian version of the American dream that was watered down or they are experiencing a Christian version of the American dream that's watered down, and they're just making, and we're just making excuses, idolizing our family rather than really putting Christ and His mission first. He's never been here, but that is a growing trend. Our mission is to make disciples. Well, let me give you two more real quick. The, 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 the fourth one is the rise of do-it-yourself Christianity. This brand of Christianity says, I want Jesus, I just don't want the challenge of having to interact with other people. It kind of says, you know, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. You've got to understand, the Lego principle is God made us to connect. He made us to connect with Him, and He made us to connect with others. Now, see, it, it'd just be like saying, I love being married. I love my family. I just don't like my wife and children. That's the same thing as a Christian saying, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. It all kind of supposed to, anyway, go together. And yet we have this kind of rise of the do-it-yourself kind of Christianity. It's a brand of Christianity that says, I want faith, but I don't want all of the mess that comes from being with other people because my life is messed up enough, and when you get my life which is messed up, and I get with other messed up people, then it really gets messed up and complicated. Do you understand that your faith is, does not live out like a flow chart? It doesn't sound good like a theory on a paper. Life is messy, amen? And everybody, you, you're messed up. Can you just amen that? Some of you need to amen that a little louder, but that's all right. You're messed up. And isn't everybody you know kind of messed up too? 
Now, if you put you that's messed up with them that's messed up, you know what you're going to get? Messed up. But you know what we have as believers of Jesus Christ? We have the spirit and the power of Christ working with us as we work together. It is Jesus, or the Bible scholars call it the great co-mission. Co, we do it together, corporately, not on our own. It is the co-mission, not the mission. It is the co-mission. We do it together. We cooperate, and we do this thing of life and living together. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, 25, and do not forsake the meeting of ourselves together as the manner of some are doing. Why? He goes on to say, because you need the encouragement of the saints. See, every Sunday, you come here and you need one of two things. And just kind of amen me so you know I'm not like going crazy. You need one of two things. Some Sundays, you, you come and you have just tried your best to do it right i mean right i mean you've tried your best to be faithful in devotions you've tried your best to be kind when you really wanted to smack somebody upside the head you have tried to love in jesus name and you come here and you just kind of need a attaboy way to go keep going keep going god loves you we do too attaboy anybody need an attaboy today anybody attaboy Keep going. Who else needs an attaboy? Yep, attaboy. <laughs> yeah, attaboy. Keep going. But you know, some Sundays, you don't need an attaboy. You need the, what in the world are you thinking? If you had really thought that thing through, would you have really done that? If you had just given it 15 seconds worth of thought, would you really have given it that decision? What in the world are you thinking? Now, I'll tell you who tells you what in the world are you thinking more than anybody else. It's either your parents or your spouse. Right? But because there are parents and our spouse, we don't really listen to them. But when a preacher preaches... And there's an area in your heart that is just not where it should be. Then the Holy Spirit moves in and goes, what are you thinking? Why are you living this way when I have given you the privilege and the opportunity and the power and the purpose to live this way? So that's, let me give you one final thing before we actually get to the message and it's the me over we philosophy. It's the me over we. I want my thing. I want my way. I want this. I want yeah, nah, 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 and I want I want. It's me over we. The scriptures tend to almost always emphasize the me, the we, over me. Now I'm going to mess that up. I promise you. It, it it is the bad thing is me over we. The good thing is we over me. Did I say that right? All right. Just read it up on the screen. All right? That's, that's not good. All right? Because here's, here's where we're at. Here's where we're at. In the 20th century, evangelical Christianity, and I've done it too for the last 23 years, we have emphasized and we have highlighted. And I preach it, and I teach it, you know, this individual unction. 
this individual kind of time with God. I, I believe it. I, I believe in personal salvation. I believe in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I believe in having personal devotions. I believe in having a personal prayer time. I believe in personal soul winning. The problem is, every time I go personal, it's all about me. And we leave out the we. It's all about me and my life with no thought about where do I fit in the bigger picture of everything. What does God want to do with my life? What has God got for me here? And, and pastors have taught people to dig into the Bible for themselves. And they do self-feeding by reading Christian books and listening to the radio. And none of that's bad. But if you don't have guardrails, man, you're going to get yourself in a whole lot of trouble when you put me over we. You are headed for trouble. And I think this attitude has kind of unwittingly diminished and deteriorated the importance of the community in the body of Christ. This produced a generation of kind of spiritual James Bonds, and I love a James Bond movie. I'm telling you, I do. I, if you blow something up, shoot somebody. I'm a happy guy. You got mail? Eh, they don't shoot anybody. If you would have shot her, it would have been good. I'm just saying. My wife knows me. John Wayne, you see him in every movie. He's exactly the same, amen? He's got the acting ability of a tomato, but you know what? He blows things up and he shoots people. I love it! Here's what we do. We have unwittingly kind of developed a generation of, of 007 agents who think, I don't need any help from anybody else. I'm the lone wolf out here. And our headquarters doesn't need to know what I'm doing. M doesn't need to know what I'm doing. Nobody needs to know what I'm doing. I'm just out here doing my own thing. Scripture never gives you the freedom, the right, or the prerogative to do your own thing. You are to live under the call of God, under the purpose of God, under the spirit and the influence of the Holy Spirit of God, fulfilling the purpose of God. God never says, hey, 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 do your own thing. He said, I saved you, and the purpose is so that you will live like me, so you will help other people live like me and fulfill the purpose. It's the unbiblical choice of, of me over we. And all this individualism is having kind of a deteriorate relationship, especially, I think, on guys who struggle with relationships anyway. Any guy want to be honest and amen right there? I, guys just struggle with relationships. We talk different than women do. We can all amen that. You see women get together, and I, we all love women. We're, we're not, this is not bad. They will talk 723 miles an hour, as hard as they can go. Guys will look at each other and go, hey, how you doing? Fine, good, yeah, what's up? Nothing, everything's good, yeah, fine, cool, man, good talking to you. That's a great conversation for a guy. You put that in the context of struggling to make relationships and we buy into the me over we and, and this kind of individualistic culture. And I sense there's a number of very committed men in our church who secretly believe, believe that they can serve God better on their own. 
It started when they skipped a week, and then another, and then another. And nothing bad happened. In fact, sleeping in felt good. Seeing their kids was even better. But every time they became disconnected from the regular fellowship, their families became disconnected with them. And every time you miss, man, relationships stop. A couple of years ago, I had a very unexpected surgery, and I had to miss three months of church. I think I came three times in three months. I'm telling you, it took me, and I don't think I've ever said this publicly, it took me probably close to five or six months before I felt like I was back fully engaged in the life of the church. And so when you miss a Sunday, you feel disconnected, and then you come back, and you're shocked that the world didn't stop because you missed a Sunday. We kept going. And then we just kept going. And we just kept going. Trying to fulfill the purpose of Jesus Christ. Making disciples. Now the church and our church has its challenges before them. And, and you can either see this as a... By the way, pastors use the word challenge. You know what that means. It's just problems. Everybody's got challenges and problems. But I tell you, I'm excited about it. It kind of gets me fired up about the opportunities before us. I want us to go back and I want us to read the scriptures. Because every time you seem to lose your way. Every time Trimble has lost his way. Every time I just kind of go, what in the world am I here for? What am I supposed to be doing? I come back to Matthew chapter 28 or Matthew 16, 15 or Luke 24 or John 20, 21 or Matthew 1, 8. And Jesus came and he told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these Disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even into the end of the age. Now, in the English, you would look at that verse and you would say, okay, we have got to go. We have to make disciples. We have to baptize and we have to teach four verbs in our English language. But in the Greek, there's only one verb in that whole passage that everything revolves around. Three participial phrases one main verb, and the verb is make disciples. Make disciples. Make disciples. You make disciples by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. And we're going to talk about going at another time, and we're going to talk about teaching uh, in two weeks, but I want to talk about the baptizing. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, some people look at that passage and they say, ah, this is they want to argue the method or the formula of baptism that you are to pray in God, and, you know, that we baptize them in the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. But the context is not about church function or baptism formula. The context is about making disciples. The word baptizo, or the word baptism, is the word baptizo. And all the word baptism means or baptizo means it just means to immerse so my fingers my hands they are immersed in the water it's not a religious term it simply means to immerse to put under so tonight if you go and you wash your dishes you know and in the sink and you fill the sink full of water and you put your hands in the water you have baptized your hands to put under to immerse could it be that what Jesus is trying to teach his followers, because his plan was never to, to grab the multitudes, his plan was always to invest in a few. 
to pour his life into 12 men. One would deny him, one would betray him, one would doubt him. But he would pour his life into those men, and those men would then take his passion and his teaching and his purpose and transform the world. Why? Because I think what Jesus was trying to teach us in that verse, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, when he said baptizing them, I think he was trying to say, help them be immersed totally in the life, in the power, in the presence, in the purpose of Jesus Christ. And all that Jesus is, baptize them in that. It's not just a one-time event. It's not a Sunday morning event. But in every area of their life, help them live an immersed life in Christ. And we don't want to live that immersed life in Christ. Matter of fact, most of us push back against us. You know what most of us want? Most of us want a disinfected faith. We don't want a faith that really transforms us. We just want a faith that, hey, if there's germs out there, we just spray it down. If you have asthma, you're going to have problems. Anybody got sick? Oh, man, spray that seat down. We don't want anything to mess up our lives. And that's what Jesus is for many of you. Jesus is just something to keep the bad stuff away. You don't want any internal transformation. You don't want to be continually molded in every new season of life by the Holy Spirit. You just kind of want to keep things as they are, things at bay. You don't want bad stuff to get on you. So you just kind of spray down. These people are not hard to find. They walk around with four bottles of Perel in their purse. They just kind of want to keep the bad stuff from happening. And if it happens to be scented with more early morning breeze, it's all the better. Because for many, faith is not about what God wants to do in their life, what Jesus purposed in their life. It is all about me, and you just keep the bad stuff away from me, and I am happy believing in Jesus. I told you. I really wanted to walk up and down and spray everybody with it, but I decided. But some of you, you, you want a little bit more than the disinfected faith. You got a little OxyClean in you. If you got something on you, a little stain, a little dirt, you just kind of want to squish, squish and wash it out so you look good. You want to look clean on the outside. You're not really caring about the inside. The focus is all on the external. You want to look good for others. You want others to think that you look good. And, and it's all about keeping the spot off and the blemish off and the stains out. It's not life transformation. It's not immersion. It's not being totally immersed in Jesus Christ. You just kind of want to look good. You kind of want to be pretty. Kind of want that stain to be gone. Well, then there's others still. You don't want the disinfected faith. And, and maybe you're not the oxyclean shouted out faith. You are just, you want to be in the water, man. You, you like skimming across the water. You like being in it, but you don't want to be immersed in it. You like talking it, you just don't want to be covered up in it. You like thinking it, you just don't want to be committed to it. And here's where a lot of you are at, man. You are just... Hanging out at the top of the water, not immersed, 
Again, we're to make disciples. How do we make disciples? Baptize them. I believe it's telling us how we disciple them. We teach them to be immersed in Christ. But see, if you're going to be immersed in Christ, you have to have some weight to you. If you're going to be immersed in Christ, it's the weight that keeps you under. Now, I'm not talking about your body weight. I'm talking about spiritual weight. When God measures Christians, when he looks at us and measures us, he doesn't do it. And he doesn't do it by counting heads or how many times you've read your Bible or how many times you've prayed, how many times you've been to church. He does it by the depth of your heart and taking the teachings of Christ and applied them to your heart so that your heart is just solidified, anchored down to the teachings of Jesus Christ. That, that what he teaches permeates every area of your life so that you're not just hobnobbing on top of the water, but you are fully immersed, totally covered, totally surrounded, totally engulfed, totally committed to Jesus Christ. Not just to get a spot out or two here or there, not just to keep bad things away, but it's so that you can learn how to live like Jesus so you can teach others how to live like Jesus. This isn't going to get it done. This isn't going to get it done. This isn't going to get it done. But I'm telling you, when you live an immersed life, a life totally put under Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, incredible things for happen. That's the purpose of the church, to make disciples. One of the ways we make disciples is by immersing them into the life of Christ. Will Voss describes C.S. Lewis's thought on the following role of the church in making disciples. He said, this gets to the heart of the church's purpose. Lewis saw that the purpose was to be drawing people to Christ and making them like Christ. And he said that the church exists for no other purpose. So where are you at? Where are you at? People have to move away for jobs. We can't do anything about that. Being inward focused, we're going to certainly address that. Shifting patterns of the church, well, that kind of gets to your heart. Let me just ask you, where are you at in your faith? Are you just here and, and, and you just kind of give a token nod to God just because you want to keep bad things away? You've totally misunderstood the gospel. Or maybe you're here and you've got the oxyclean face. You just kind of want to keep the you just kind of want to keep the stain out. You kind of want to keep the dirt off. You kind of want to look good in front of everybody and you want everybody to speak well of you. Your goal is not to make everybody speak well of you. Your goal is to make disciples so that they speak well of Jesus. Are you just skimming the water? Or, or matter of fact, maybe there, there'd be some of you used to be way down there and you've just kind of gotten a little light in your faith. You've kind of gotten a little light with his purpose. Gotten a little light with his commands. Oh, you're still in the water. But it doesn't have sway over you like it used to. 
doesn't light your passion like it used to. I'm just simply telling you, if we're going to make disciples, we have to live that immersed life because that's what I believe he calls us to teach and to preach. There's a life so given over to Jesus Christ that we go and we make disciples. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes for just a minute? Here's the question. Which one of the four are you? Are you content just to be the disinfectant spray and just to keep the bad things away? That's not living as a Christ follower. Are you just kind of interested in keeping the stains away? Then that's not living as a Christ follower either. Well, certainly we want sin removed. I get that. We're talking about baptizing then. Helping people live a fully immersed life. And I'm sure there are some. You used to be that ball down at the bottom. But now you're just floating around at the top. You've kind of lost your purpose in a new season of life. You've kind of lost your way, maybe because of a, a new job or your kids hitting a different season of life or because of a, a sickness, maybe. I'm just simply telling you that we cannot lead people to live an immersed life unless we are living that immersed life in Christ. So the question is, who are you discipling? Kind of what kind of disciple are you? Who are you discipling? I mean, if that name doesn't immediately come to your mind, then you need to address that situation. Pray with me, please. Would you stand quietly to your feet with heads bowed and eyes closed?